a reading from the book of the prophet Amos. Hear this word, O children of Israel, that the Lord pronounces over you, over the whole family that I brought up from the land of Egypt. You alone have I favored more than all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your crimes. Do two walk together unless they have agreed? Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from its den unless it has seized something? Is a bird brought to earth by a snare when there is no lure for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground without catching anything? If the trumpet sounds in the city, will the people not be frightened? If evil befalls a city, has not the Lord caused it? Indeed, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The lion roars, who will not be afraid? The Lord God speaks, who will not prophesy? I brought upon you such upheaval as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a brand plucked from the fire. Yet you returned not to me, says the Lord. So now I will deal with you in my own way, O Israel. And since I will deal thus with you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. The word of the Lord. Lead me in your justice, Lord. Lead me in your justice, Lord. At dawn, I bring my plea expectantly before you. For you, O God, delight not in wickedness. No evil man remains with you. The arrogant may not stand in your sight. Lead me in your justice, Lord. You hate all evildoers. You destroy all who speak falsehood, the bloodthirsty and the deceitful. The, lo the Lord abhors. Lead me in your justice, Lord. But I, because of your abundant mercy, will enter your house. I will worship at your holy temple in fear of you, O Lord. Lead me in your justice, Lord. Our first readings this week, accepting the feast day tomorrow, are taken from the book of the prophet Amos. Amos was a curious man. He was not a professional prophet. He was a shepherd, as he describes himself, and a guy who raised sycamore trees, fig trees. And the word of the Lord comes to him and sends him from his home into the kingdom of Israel to preach. And he goes to the great shrine in Bethel to preach there. And 
we have today a certain moment in his preaching. As Amos arrives and he begins preaching, and his book is fascinating, it begins with a series of oracles against all of Israel's enemies, against all of those surrounding peoples and nations who have just made their lives miserable or practiced obvious wickedness. And you could imagine as this curiously eloquent man begins speaking with such poetic vigor, and he's pronouncing these stern words against all that opposes Israel, how the people were responding. It's about time someone says it like it is. I long for the day when they get what's coming to them. And he goes down the list, seven different oracles, that marvelous number, seven, the fullness of everything, speaking against all of the enemies, all of the opponents. And everybody knows the rule, when you get to the seventh, you're done. But not Amos because the Lord's given him an eighth oracle, and it's the long one, and it's the harsh one, and it's the oracle against Israel itself. And so all of a sudden, and just imagine this, someone speaking in a certain context about all of the enemies of a country, all of the enemies of a people, all of the enemies of a family talking about what they've done wrong, talking about what the consequences of that wrong is and what the Lord will do. And imagine how the hearts of all of those who are listening have sort of a curious delight in hearing that because the one who's done these bad things is finally getting his comeuppance, that the Lord is finally going to act and make things right. So as they're all there and they're fairly content that the Lord is about to set the world in order, all of a sudden Amos turns to all of those who've gone to the great sanctuary to pray, from the king to the priests to the prophets to all of the people who've been nodding their heads as he's been preaching. And he says, and now the Lord says to you, and it's a stronger word and a harsher word. And imagine how quickly the audience would have turned on the prophet, where all of a sudden those things you long to see done to your enemy, that wickedness you assign outside of yourself, the Lord sees that and more within you. And part of that more is because the Lord has done so much for you and you set it aside and turn away from it. And the other nations in their cruelty don't know any better. Oh, but you do. And so the oracle that we have today, the passage from the book of the prophet Amos we have today, is now where the Lord directs his word in the great sanctuary of Bethel to and against Israel itself. And there's a strong note of the Lord saying, my patience has reached its limit. I've foreborne. I've sent you warnings. I've even visited a certain hardship upon you so that you would wake up. 
and you refuse to do so. And Amos will continue as he talks to the people. And it's a remarkable series of statements from the Lord, which basically say it really doesn't matter how often you come here to pray. And it really doesn't matter that you're always burning your sacrifices here. And it really doesn't matter that you make a show of observing the feast days if you're going to leave all of that empty. And it will make no difference in how you live. It's the classic criticism of that personality type that Christianity has known all too well. The one who behaves however he will during the week and pats himself on the back because he made it to church on Sunday. And here the Lord is saying not that coming to worship has no value, but he is saying the way you're doing it has none. Because it doesn't penetrate your hearts. And it doesn't shape your thinking and your living and your acting. And dry worship and dry prayer, when it's that kind of dryness, has no merit. It's empty. You defraud your neighbor. You exploit the poor. But you come and you make a show of burning your sacrifice. And I'm supposed to be pleased, the Lord says. Talk about a guy being given a very impossible message to deliver. Standing in front of the congregation and speaking like that. And yet the whole point of this, in this curiously beautiful poetry that Amos gives, this odd description of cause and effect, does the lion roar if he doesn't have the prey already in his mouth? Does the snare snap and not catch its victim? And what he's really saying is, the moment has come upon you, the moment of judgment, the moment of your comeuppance. But why would the Lord send him with that message except to say, I'm giving you this last chance? I'm telling you how close to the edge you're standing. I'm telling you how very near you are to coming undone. And the point of the prophet's message is not simply to be another critical voice, not simply to be another angry voice, but to speak that last harsh word which might finally penetrate that stony wall of the heart of Israel and provoke a reaction, a recognition, an apology. Tragically, that doesn't happen. And not long after Amos prophesies, the kingdom of Israel comes to an end. And yet here is the prophet speaking out not simply about the nations and those who stand outside of the people of God, but as all of the great prophets have done, their job is not to speak about the rest of the world first. It's primarily to speak to God's people. And often the word is a difficult and a challenging word because the people have difficult, challenging, stony, and persistently stubborn hearts. 
One of the remarkable things about Amos is his remarkable sense of the absolute transcendence of God. His book has marvelous language about the one who made the heavens is the one who's speaking to you. The one who is the Lord of nations is the one who is speaking to you. Stop listening to lesser voices because there is no voice greater than this one. And that gives us a very interesting segue into our gospel reading today. This wonderfully mysterious account of the Lord sleeping in the boat while the storm comes up. And as St. Matthew describes the situation with the apostles, it is very odd. Note, it's almost as soon as Jesus gets in the boat and they begin to move with Jesus that the storm shows up. Don't we normally imagine that it's the opposite? We're in the middle of the storm and then Jesus shows up and it goes away. If all I, you know, all I need to do is get to Jesus and I'll be okay. And here the interesting thing is they're with Jesus. And it's as soon as they're with Jesus, the storm hits them. And it's a violent storm. It's a storm beyond their strength. And that's the odd thing here. These are fishermen. They're used to being out on the water. They're used to being in a boat on unsettled waves. They've been rained on before. They've been caught in storms before. There's something different here. There's a violence about this storm, an intensity about this storm, an overwhelming greatness about this storm that has these professional men of the water worried for their lives. And then there's Jesus sleeping in the boat. And imagine that. The boat rocking and being lifted by the waves and suddenly dropped. The winds making it impossible to furl the sail. The rain beginning to come down. Everybody's wet. Everybody's buffeted. Everybody's stomach is beginning to act up from all the churning. And there's the Lord sleeping as if nothing is happening. And let's pause right there. How many things keep you up awake at night? How many times do you have a certain interior storminess that's roiling your heart, that's roiling your mind? Those nights where the brain just doesn't turn off and the emotions are just running wild. Think of all those times where even though no one's around you, no one outside you is bothering you, you can't find a moment's peace because something keeps knocking you off center. You're always upset. You're always uncertain. You're always unsure. You're always hurt. And it just doesn't stop. And no one seems to come. Think of how often it's small things that unsettle us this way. It's things that even aren't that important. 
And yet, for whatever reason, they afflict us and keep us awake. Now let's look back at Jesus. Because one of the lessons here is all of those things that upset you and afflict you and seem so rudely overwhelming. What is he saying right here? It doesn't keep me awake at night. It doesn't disturb my peace. One of the things the Lord is showing here is that there is something about him that can sit calmly, even rest, in the middle of any earthly affliction and violence. And it's not that he doesn't care. This is not the Lord saying, I don't care what is happening to you. This is the Lord saying, first and foremost, it's not as powerful as you think it is. It's not as overwhelming as you think it is. I don't even feel it. Not because I have no compassion for you, but because that wind doesn't threaten me. Those waves can't upset me. No rain can fall on me so hard and in such quantity that it will afflict me. And that's a challenging lesson to learn, this silence of Jesus as the storm hits. And yet it's deliberate. The storm doesn't come because the apostles are sinners. The storm doesn't come because the apostles have done something wrong. The storm comes because the Lord wants to teach them something. And he's using the storm and his sleeping to make the point. The first point is, just because we're with Jesus doesn't mean the storm goes away or never comes in the first place. Rather, one of the things the Lord is saying is there's always a storm. There is always a storm. And his church and his people need to learn how to deal with the storm. But secondly, this storm is different from anything the apostles ever experienced because now the Lord is also teaching them something about himself. Do yourself a favor. Later today, go home. Open your Bible to Psalm 107. Okay, that's Psalm 107. Read through Psalm 107. It will begin with all the ways the Lord intervenes when people in hardship cry out to him. Those who suffer. Those who, because of their sins, have fallen into ruin. Those who've been imprisoned in some way all calling out for rescue and the Lord answering. And after all of those descriptions comes a marvelous passage of men in ships on the sea. They've done nothing wrong. They're not sinners. They're not those who are poor and afflicted. They're men who make their living boldly out on the waters. And the psalm says, and the Lord revealed himself to them. And how did he reveal himself? By the storm. With the waves that lifted their boats and sent them crashing down. 
with the fact that everything was beyond their strength and their ability to master. That these confident men who make their living plying the water suddenly discover the water is more unruly than they can master. Just like life is for us, isn't it? However often we think we've got it right, there's that element of life that knocks us off center. And note what the psalm says. This is not a punishment. This is actually one of the ways the Lord reveals himself. Because he's the one who's moving those waves. He's the one who's rocking that boat. And sometimes the boat gets rocked so that those who are within it can learn their smallness and can learn the greatness of the Lord who is the master of these things. And what happens in the psalm is what happens in the gospel. Those who are being tossed by the storm and are suddenly frightened for their lives call out to God and in his glory the storm falls silent and the sea becomes still. What a remarkable parallel to the gospel reading we have today. Here we have the apostles in their boat, men of the water, suddenly overwhelmed right after Jesus gets in the boat. Jesus, who is content to sleep, and let them experience this because he knows there is no real danger for them. And why? Because he is here. And he is watching over this. And there's a reason why they pass through this frightening moment. And it's to see that within all of that which frightens them, there is the invincible peace of Christ. And then there is this statement as they come to him. Lord, why are you doing nothing? Don't you know we're in danger? And Jesus doesn't stand there and say, of course I know that, don't worry. Note his response. Why are you so afraid, O oh, you men of such little faith? They had more faith in the danger of the storm than in the sleeping Lord who was with them. And that was the point. Jesus is saying to them, what are you really paying attention to? Are you paying attention to the storm in such a way you forget that I'm here? Are you paying attention to the storm in such a way that you think I won't save you? Are you paying attention to the storm in such a way that you forget who I am? And then he turns around and says, oh, let me show you. And just like in the psalm, he turns to the storm, speaks a word, and it falls silent. And note the response of the disciples. Who can this possibly be? What kind of man can do this? What man? can command the water and the wind and the rain, and it obeys. What man can speak such a word? And the answer, of course, is no mere man. 
in the scriptures the command over the unruly waters, the ability to to still the unruly waves, the ability to sit and rest quietly over the most outrageous movement of the ocean is one of the great signs of God. Here the Lord gives a clear indication of his divine power, of his divinity. This stilling of the sea with a word. How absolutely remarkable this is. And note, without the storm, there is not the experience of this element of the greatness of Christ. And now that he has done this, his word to the church is, the next time I'm sitting quietly in a boat with you and the wind gets frightening, remember this and remember who it is that is with you. Sometimes to really experience the presence of God is to experience an overwhelming and even frightening reality. That shouldn't surprise us, but it often does. Because God is overwhelming. God is greater than we can imagine. And there is a certain unpredictability about the Lord because we can't anticipate his every move any more than the disciples could. But the reality is it only appears unpredictable. The Lord always knows exactly what he's doing. He always knows exactly why he's doing it. And here the Lord is demonstrating the reality of the promise. Everything around you might say, I'm asleep and not paying attention to you. The truth is something else. And as long as I am with you and you are with me, it doesn't matter how great the storm that shakes the boat. Because my peace will overcome it. And in doing so, he invites his church to come to a sharing in that peace. Imagine how wonderful it would be for us if we could sleep through a few more things at night. If certain things no longer roiled our minds and our hearts the way they do so easily. Part of this is also the Lord saying, Sit with me right here in the boat. Let the storm rage. Just stay with me and have faith enough to do that. What a great gift that would be. Amen.